Praise God. Praise God. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. I read from the New Revised Standard Version, James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not brittle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Word of God for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for bringing us before your presence, Lord, through that worship. And we thank you, O oh Lord, for our praise band that prepares these songs every Sunday, Lord, to help us to enter into your presence with thanksgiving. We ask now, O oh Lord, that you will speak to our hearts and our minds as we hear from this word. Help it, O oh Lord, to speak to what we need to hear this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, Goya, the brand, came up with one of the best slogans that I think has ever been used. In Spanish, it said, Si es bueno, tiene que ser Goya. Which in English means, if it's good, it must be Goya. It was short, it was memorable, and it, was, it became something that Latin people would say to each other when they went over to eat at their house. If it was good, they're like, you used Goya, didn't you? You cooked with that good stuff, right? You used their beans or their rice. It didn't matter what it was. If it was good, people said it must be Goya. Goya was clever enough to basically get everybody to associate good Latin food with their brand. And Latin people would always say, did you get that Goya this, that Goya that? Because they have so many products in case you didn't know. Seasoning and beans and rice and all kinds of things that they make. So the, the phrase Si es Goya, tiene que ser bueno, became kind of a phrase that people threw around all the time. And the implication was, you can't go wrong with Goya. It's always going to be right. 
It led people to the false assumption that everybody could cook. Which doesn't happen to be the case, by the way. But it led people there. Because it was such a catchy phrase, people would repeat it, people would use it, and people associated good with Goya. Today in the scripture, we find that James comes up with his own catchphrase for God. He says, if it's a generous act of giving, it's from God. It's from the Father of lights. Just as Goya associated good food with, with their brand, James says that if it's good in life, it comes from God, who is our Heavenly Father. That the generous acts that we see come from that generosity that comes from the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. You see, for James, it was important for us to understand that what we do is a reflection of whose we are. That if we are to be God's children, and God is a generous and loving God, then it must follow that we must be generous and loving children. At least that is the ideal, right? You see, when Christians give and they show generosity, they don't do it like the world does it. When the world gives, it does it for recognition. So everybody else will see how good I am. When the world does it, it does it to receive in return. I'm going to give because later I'm going to get something back. When the world does it, it does it so they can have you owe them one. But when the Christian does it, the Christian does it out of the generosity that God has put in their heart because God has already given them generous blessings. And so James explains that we as a church are to give generously, to give according to the generous heart that God has for us. When I see how our church gives generously to the needs of the ministry of the church, I can say that it warms my heart. Not because we have all bills paid, not because everything is on the black and not the red, even though that's all good news, but because it is a reflection of a deeper discipleship and following of Jesus Christ as we give generously to his kingdom. Scripture tells us that when we give, we give to honor and to bless others in God's name. We would do well to remember these things because we tend to forget them. Sometimes we pat ourselves in the back too much when we do something good. When the reality is that anytime we as Christians do something that shows God's love and generosity to someone else, credit should go back to God. It should always go back to God. James wants us to remember that today. So he begins reminding us basically that apart from God, we can really do no good thing. That all good things are from the Father of light. Every perfect gift is from above. And in him there is no variation, no shadow, no due to change. That's a good word for us this morning. Because we live in a world that is constantly changing, constantly in turmoil. There's new things every day. 
And in a world that is always changing and where we're getting bombarded with news all the time, it is good to know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that his faithfulness is not changed by our circumstances or situation, but that he is the constant that we can count on in this ever-changing world. That Father who never changes is the one that is there for us day and night, no matter what is going on in our lives, and no matter what is going on around us. This is the kind of reassurance that I need to remind myself of on a regular basis. Because sometimes we can get overwhelmed by what goes around, happens around us. Somebody put it best that years ago, you might hear bad news from a neighbor or a friend. Today, we hear the bad news of the whole world all at once because of social media, because of access to technology. When something bad happens anywhere, we hear about it. And it can become very overwhelming. And so in these times, it is super important for us to remember that God is still with us, that God is still on the throne, that God is still generous and merciful, that God is still good and loving, and that God still has a plan for each and every one of us. And James also gives us some advice on how to deal with everything that's going on. His words should sound familiar to us because they kind of echo what Paul told us in Ephesians regarding anger. James says, Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Now that's solid advice for everybody, right? Because we tend to do that opposite. Be uh, slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. In the Latino con community, we call it having a short fuse. We call it being a fosforito, which means like being like a match that lights on fire very quickly. And there's times in which we feel that way. We feel like our fuse is about that long. And it takes nothing to push us over the edge. And so this advice is important for us to follow as we try to manage everything that we're facing every day. He says, be quick to listen, which implies be quick to take the time to try to understand others and where they're coming from and what they're going through. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are hurting. There's a lot of people out there that needs somebody to just listen to them pour out what's going on in their hearts. But so often we are so busy formulating what we're going to say to them after they're done talking that we don't take the time to listen. You know, if, if you've ever seen couples counseling, 90% of it is communication. And what happens is people start talking past each other. Both of them are talking, but nobody is listening to the other. And so when James says, be quick to listen, he's basically saying, slow down and take the time. Don't think about what you're going to say. Don't think about how you're going to respond. Listen so that you can understand the other person where they are. And then be slow to speak. Think before you speak. 
You know, when you're slow to speak, it gives you a chance to think about how your words are going to be received. Though that doesn't always help if you have teenagers. You always try that, right? You slow down and you say, okay, if I say this, how are they going to react? How are they going to receive it? Because you want to be slow because words matter. Like we showed the kids, once it's out of the tube, it's out of the tube. Once you put the word out there, it's been heard. And you can apologize and there might be forgiveness for you if you said something harsh. But the reality is that once you said that word, if it's caused to hurt, the hurt's still there. If it's caused pain, the pain still lingers. If it's caused doubt, that doubt festers. Whatever your word has caused, it can continue to have lasting effects. And this is why James says, be slow to speak. Give yourself time to really think, is this the best word, the most constructive word, the word that is going to build up and not destroy? Is this the word that's going to help my brother or sister to be stronger in the faith? Or is this something that's going to tear them down and discourage them? And then just be slow to anger. Just as being slow to speak gives us time to think about what we're going to say, being slow to anger helps us consider the consequences of our anger. Did you know that anger has consequences? When we get angry, well, maybe it's just me, but I get a churning in the stomach, kind of almost like acid reflux. My heart beats a little faster. I get a little agitated. It kind of wells up inside of me. And the thing about anger is that it really affects us more than it affects anybody else. It really takes us from the inside out and kind of corrupts us. This is why Paul had said in, in Ephesians that we should not let our sin turn into anger, our anger turn into sin. That we should not allow our anger to turn into sin because he knew that if we allowed our anger to overtake us, it would lead us to think things and do things that we shouldn't do. And let's face it, there are so many things that anger us. I'll let you take two seconds to come up with a list of a hundred. There are so many things that anger us. Senseless death, abuses of power, injustice, evil acts against children, evil acts against seniors, evil acts against anyone. Pretty much any, any tragedy, any natural disaster brings anger in our, in, our, in our feelings because we're angry that people have to go through it. And it is easy to experience what I call righteous anger, righteous indignation. We think that our anger is justified because we know that that's evil or that's bad that is going on. We justify that anger as if, you know, we should... We should get angry about it. That's the right course of action. But James nips that in the butt right away from the beginning. He says, your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. I had to read that a lot of times. Your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Getting angry does not make things right. 
does not correct the injustice, does not undo the disaster. Getting angry does not lead to constructive results. What it actually does is often put us in a position to become judge, jury, and executioner. It puts us in a position to try to find blame or find somebody to point at and say, you did this. And we forgo listening and our speaking becomes toxic. And what we do is not part of the solution, but we become a part of the problem. For this reason, James tells us to rid ourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. And instead, he says, welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Get rid of all that muck. Get rid of all that junk. And instead, get that implanted word that has the power to save your soul. Sordidness is defined as the state or quality of being dirty. But that definition does not do sordidness justice. I want you to hear the synonyms of sordidness. Blackness, dinge, dinginess, dirtiness, dustiness, filthiness, foulness, griminess, grubbiness, nastiness, smuttiness, soilage, squalidness, uncleanliness, uncleanliness, and it goes on. This is a really strong word. He's saying get rid of all of this dirtiness that is, that is impacting your soul. Anger affects us more than anybody else, and it affects our relationship with God. But ridding ourselves of this is, isn't easy. You know, I, I equate it to trying to clean the grates on your grill. Have you ever tried to clean the greasy grates on your grill? So you pull them out, and you start cleaning them, and before you know it, your hand's black. And you say, no problem, I'll clean that later. And you go like that. And you keep cleaning and you wipe the sweat off your brow. And you continue to clean and this stuff is not coming out. So you bring out the heavy detergents. And now it's just running everywhere. And so you do this. And by the time you're done cleaning the grills, you're dirtier than the grill was. That's how anger is in our lives. We think we're cleaning the world. We think we're solving something. But the reality is that we're getting all of that junk on us by letting our anger get the best of us. Instead, James says, don't do that. He says, take in with meekness and humbleness the word of God that has the power to save your souls. The word of God implanted in us, living in us, that can save our souls. The word has that power because it tells us the story of who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he has promised to do in the future. 
If you look at the Word of God, you find there everything you need for salvation. It tells you the story of Jesus, the Redeemer of our lives. It shows us how He dealt with persecution, with bad situations, with death itself. You know, He didn't lash out even at those who crucified Him. He prayed for them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for his enemies. You see, the word of God is living and is able to redeem us from all the muck. It's better than the Clorox and all the degreasers that you can use on the grill. Because it doesn't just work on the world, it works on you too. As you are letting the word grow in you, because implanted means that it's alive in you. I want you to hear that. It's not just... I got the word, and I'm done, and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't grow. It doesn't mature. It doesn't help me to see God differently. No, no. It grows. It is an implanted, living word of God that continues to challenge me to be more like Jesus. That implanted word continues to help me discover the will of God and what he wants me to do. For James, the word was not just informative. It was transformative. It was redeeming. It was powerful because it brought life. But he warns us that we must not just hear the word, but be doers of the word. That we can't just listen to it. We actually have to put it into practice. And this made me think of how many times I've had to put something together and it came with instructions, and I got the instructions, and I got a quick peek at them, and I got this. And halfway through it, I realized, I don't got this. How many times do we go through life in that same way when it comes to God's Word? We glance at the Word, we get a quick peek, we get a Sunday morning, and then we go into Monday, and we put it to the side. There we go. We put it to the side, and we go on about our day, and we forget to put it into practice and to actually live that word. We can't just know about it. We can't just glance at it. We've got to actually live it. It's not enough to know that God wants us to live holy lives. It, we must strive for holiness and godliness every single day. Let me put it in terms we understand. Just saying I'm overweight is not going to make me lose weight all of a sudden. Just saying that I'm an addict is not going to help me quit. It's a beginning, but it's not going to help me quit. Just having a gym membership does not make me fit. And just being in church does not make you a Christian. It is the Word of God living and planted in your life, that Word of God which is Jesus Christ, that brings you to become a Christian and a child of God and a disciple that follows that word not just by hearing it, but actually doing it. Hearing is important, but doing goes right along. And James gives us an illustration. He says, the one that doesn't do the word is like somebody who looks in a mirror and then upon going away from that mirror, completely forgets what they were like. 
Now, James is not talking about having a senior moment where you go into a room and you forget what you were there for, though that would help us understand it maybe a little better. He's basically saying that we listen to the word, we go, that's a great word. I love that word. That's a powerful word. That's a, that's a life-giving word. And then we walk away and we forget about putting it into practice and living it out. You know, it's no good if you come on Sunday morning and go, Pastor, that's a great sermon, and you go out on Monday and forget all about it and don't put it into practice. God called me on this last week. I preached about the armor of God and the attacks of the enemy. And guess what came Monday morning? And God sent three or four reminders my way you told them to put on the armor of God. What are you waiting for? And I got to tell you, all week long, I had reminders of what I preached Sunday. Because God was saying, you got to live what you preach. Every one of us has to do that. We have to live this word. We have to be in it and through it all the time. Otherwise... James says we are deceiving ourselves and we'll forget as we walk away. Well, you know, some people might say James is a little outdated because today in the 21st century, we have solved the problem of being away from your mirror. We have compacts that people carry around so they can see themselves all the time. But if you don't have that because you're more modern, you have a selfie camera on your phone. So you can always see if your hair is straight, right? We basically know that at any moment we can look at ourselves. And we can check ourselves out to make sure that we are right. And what James was inviting us to do was to do just that, but with the word of God. He says, this is the life-giving word. This is the light of God given to you. You need to go ahead and check yourself against it every single day, never forgetting to do it. You know, if you leave your phone behind, you're going to turn around to go get it. How many of us can confess we've left the phone somewhere and we immediately went, I got to go back. I left my phone. Nobody goes, I left my phone. I'll get it next Sunday. You would never do that. Then what makes us think that we can just go, hey, I received the word of God Sunday. I forgot it Monday, but I'll get some more next Sunday. You see where I'm going with that? He's basically saying you cannot do that in your life and continue to be a disciple of Christ if you don't find yourself doing the word, forgetting it, or leaving it behind, go back to it. Get in the word. Because something is amiss. Those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. They will be blessed in their doing. 
There's blessing in carrying with us the word and putting it into practice. But James knew that there were some listening to him that were going to go, we are, we got it all figured out. We go to synagogue every week. We go to church every week. We got it all figured out. So listen to what he says. He says, for all of you that think you are religious, he says this, if you think you're religious, but you are out there bad-mouthing others, your religion is worthless. If you're not helping the poor and the needy, your religion is worthless. He didn't say those words, but that's my translation. Basically, you are no goya, no bueno, no good. If you say that you're religious, but you're not putting into practice the word of God that you say you believe. James tells us that the religion that is pure and undefiled before God, again, not dirty religion, but clean religion, is this, to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In other words, do good in the name of Jesus and stay clean from the muck. Now, if you've ever cleaned or owned a home, you know what challenge that is. Because as you're cleaning one corner, what happens to the other corner? It got dirty again. And while you think you've got this mess taken care of, somebody else made another mess over here. So this is not something that you do one time. You do a one-time cleaning, everything freezes, and you're done. This is an ongoing, every single day, staying clean and allowing Jesus to be our guide when it comes to our actions. I know that this is easier said than done, yet it is what we're called to do. It is what Jesus would have us do, to listen and do the word and steer clear of sin, wickedness, evil, sordidness, and anything else that would want to stain our testimony of Jesus Christ. Every day, we need to go and follow the example of Jesus. Now let's go and let's do it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you because it is challenging. It is a word that invites us, O oh Lord, to be be careful of what we do, what we say, what we listen to, and how we express our anger. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to respond as Jesus did by praying for our enemies and loving our neighbor, by seeing everybody that's around us who is in need, like the orphans and the widows were in Jesus' time, and by remembering, Lord, that you have called us to be holy as you are holy. Help us on this day not to just hear this word and dismiss it and forget about it or put it to the back burner. Help us to actually live it out, to pull it out throughout this week and challenge ourselves to continue to stay clean, to continue to walk in your righteousness and your light, and to continue to ask for your forgiveness every day. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us to this holy life. In your name we pray. Amen.